Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Traveling Image Maker podcast with your hosts Hugo Che and Ralph Velasco, who are uh, uh, united again on a show. It's uh, it's been a while, Ralph, that we've been uh, on the show together. We had our schedules were not exactly fitting each other, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it happens with working travel photographers. We're all over the world, and so are our guests sometimes. So I'm glad we can make this work. And uh, here you're back in your home in Chicago? Yep, still here for just a few more days and uh, heading off to Spain, Morocco, and Portugal. Uh, today's Monday, so this Friday. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to getting back on the road. Good. And as for me, I'm home in Milan. And yeah, looking forward to, to a couple of trips. I've got a week-long trip to Puglia in the south of Italy and then another one in Tuscany all coming up in uh, in less than a month. So really excited about those. Mm, wonderful. For, for some time. So hoping to get some good shots there. All right. Great. Let's uh, let's talk about our guest who is a return guest. Uh, one of our favorites, and we wanted to to have him back on the show. Uh, he's a veteran commercial travel photographer, Fujifilm Global Ambassador, writer, consultant, entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience in the photography industry. His work has been featured worldwide in numerous commercial and editorial publications, including the New York Times uh, and the cover of National Geographic. Wow. And he has a great passion for travel and the landscape and the people that he encounters along the way are the inspiration for his popular blog and the other publication he writes for. So uh, let's welcome Ken Kamineski. Hi, Ken. How are you doing? Hi, gentlemen. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Hey there, Ken. I'm doing really well, thanks. We're doing good. So you've been with us on... Uh, Episode 56, that's almost two years ago. We had a nice conversation, mostly about the business of travel photography. And today we'll talk about something else, of course. Uh, but first of, up, uh, first of all, what's, uh, what's new with you in the past uh, almost two years since that interview? What's, uh, what's, happening, what's been happening in, uh, in your life? Well, it's uh, like Ralph says, you know, we're never in the same place for very long or if we are it's still you know a real roller coaster kind of existence in terms of what we do and it sure has been for me so i'm still here uh in the united states um but you know having last couple of years had the opportunity to visit some exciting new places uh last year was the first time that uh, uh my company and i uh, scouted tanzania and zanzibar for our annual safari that we're going to be doing the, uh, from from now on uh, I just got back from our inaugural uh, Norway photo tour, and that was just absolutely wonderful. We were blessed with incredible weather, a great group of people, and uh, just a ton of fun. And then after that, I went uh, to your uh, neck of the woods in Italy, Germany, Austria, and Slovenia to do a little bit of scouting for uh, some other potential uh, photography tours that we're looking at doing and it's just been a really interesting year of travel lots of new things coming up for next year as well and actually today we just launched our Myanmar photography tour for December of this year and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled about that because that's just a, such a special part of the world that uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing with a whole bunch of new people. I seem to remember a couple of Facebook posts about you being stranded somewhere in the Dolomites due to a failing car or something. <laughs> yeah, what's that, the story that, there? That definitely happened, and you know, honestly, it's uh, part of the you know it's part of the things that you have to expect once in a while in terms of you know when you're on the road, and uh, you know you, you never like when bad things happen, but they do, and it's about how you handle them. And how it all works out in the end that really counts. And I'll be honest, the car company that we were dealing with really messed up. Um, and for the whole time that we were there, 
you know, very little was done in order to, to help us out. But I'll tell you, they, uh, upon my return and, and talking to the right people, they sure have stood up and uh, taken responsibility for, for what they did and are making sure that, you know, we're walking away, not thrilled, but satisfied with the outcome, given the chance, you know, to, to do something about it. And since you can't go back and fix the past, um, I'm always impressed when people or a company takes responsibility for errors and mistakes that they make, apologize for it, and then actually do something about it. And that's what's happening. So uh, the best stories in the end end up being those ones where, you know, you live through them. They're a pain in the butt and they're challenging and difficult and they make you want to scream while they're happening. But a couple of weeks later, looking back at it, it kind of puts a grin on my face and I laugh about it with uh, my buddy Patrick, who I was there with. Cool. And I think you... You met some great people while you were there because of that misadventure, I think. That was part of what I think makes for the best story. So, you know, I love Italy. Um, the Some of the nicest people I've ever met were on my Italian trips. And that was certainly the case here in the Dolomites. So we were staying at this little bed and breakfast in one of the stops that we were in. And... Uh, the little old lady and, and her husband who run the bed and breakfast where we were, um, were were just the most accommodating, lovely, kind people. They they bent over backwards to help us. They drove us around. They you know she she cooked meals for us. Um, any anything they could do in terms of getting on the phone and translating for us uh, when we were trying to deal with the car rental company. Um, and and it just goes to show you that you know it, from everything that. that bad that can happen, whether you're on the road or not, there, there's a silver lining to those clouds. And, you know, these people were truly the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Well, I'm intrigued now. Can you give us a, just a quick synopsis of what actually happened? Sure. So we uh, were, uh, you know, we, we had a four by four. We rented a four by four because we were going to be up in the mountains. And uh, I, I certainly wanted to make sure that that was going to be a safe vehicle. And I think anyone who travels and uses rental cars knows that as soon as you get past the sub-compact uh, economy cars, the, the prices skyrocket. But, you know, it's, it's an expense that you have to undertake for your safety and security. And so they even, uh, luckily enough, bumped us up to a Land Rover. Um, and uh, so very happy with that vehicle. But uh, only after we had left the airport and gotten to our first destination did we realize that there was no winter tires when we had requested winter tires and they actually charged us for them. Um, and then after when we got to, to Italy and that was our second destination after, uh, after Germany, the, we had a flat tire and there was no spare tire. There was no tools in the car. There was no flares. Uh, there was nothing, you know, in terms of safety precautions or, or measures to be able to help us. Um, and luckily for us, we were, um, I'd say about a kilometer away from the bed and breakfast where we were. However, earlier, not just, you know, maybe 20 minutes before we were on these pretty precarious mountain roads where it's very narrow and there's 18 wheelers coming and going at, you know, full speed and uh, winding roads where you don't see around the bend. And if it had happened there, I'd have been terrified for my life. Uh, so all of this, you know, comes into play where, you know, you would hope that these companies would take your safety and security into account and verify the vehicles. And not only that, but then when we finally got in touch with them, they refused to send us uh, a replacement car or a tow truck to pick up the vehicle because it was night. <laughs> or, and, and, and then they said, well, the weather is bad. And it's like, all we had to do was look outside and it was a perfectly clear night. Um, nothing was wrong with the weather at all. And they absolutely adamantly refused. And the next day, when it was blustery snowing, uh, they did send a tow truck to pick it up. <laughs> but they picked it up and they left us stranded with no means to be able to get a replacement vehicle, with no uh, person to contact. Uh, and we were rather bewildered. So I literally had to call, I'm guessing, eight to ten different places uh, to try and see what was happening, if anyone was going to help us and we were going to get a replacement vehicle. Nothing. To the point where you know, one of the people we actually spoke to said she couldn't help us because she doesn't have a computer. <laughs> <laughs> 
This was from the car rental company. So, yeah. I mean, okay, um, do you have an Etch-a-Sketch? Uh, <laughs> Abacus? Right? So it, it was, you know, it was becoming farce and comedy at that point. Um, and I, I, I'm very sorry for the wonderful woman who ran that B&B who had to see me get angry and talk on the phone in a rather heated fashion. But she, she was smirking and laughing the whole time. So uh, I would just wink at her and go, you know, put cup, cup the, the phone and say, I'm not really that angry. I just have to let them think I am. And, <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, even that didn't help, but maybe it helped me a little bit get, you know, my anger out of my system. And then finally, um, we had to rent a vehicle from another company because no nothing was being done. And who came to our rescue was American Express. And I'll give them props um, for being there and uh, thank them very much for, you know, the, the way they help their customers uh, when they're in need. And, and they're renowned for that. And there's a good reason for it. They do take care, and, and they're absolutely wonderful in terms of customer service and um, any kind of help that they can provide, even if it's above and beyond the call of duty. So cheers to Amex for that. So not the kind of thing that you would imagine it would happen in, in the middle of civilized and modern Europe between Germany and Italy, right? Maybe something... Well, yeah. <laughs> well in Italy, maybe. <laughs> maybe in Italy, yeah. More like in Italy, but you rented in Germany, so I don't know who's to blame. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know either, but I ended up dealing with, you know, the Italian side of it. And as much as Italy is probably my favorite country to travel around in, um, I don't think that anyone should be in a hurry when they're in Italy or have absolute, you know, plans that can't be broken. It's not the most organized place in the world. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's leave no, it. The food and the wine and the history and, and the culture and everything else sure makes up for the lack of planning. So just uh, I was saying before that I have this uh, trip to Puglia organized i'm leaving in uh well when this episode goes out i will be it'll be the day before i leave actually so <laughs> and yeah I'm, I'm, make me think that i need to to check my my trunk if there is a spare tire there <laughs> mm. yeah i would recommend that to everybody including me from here on in so um I mean, and you might expect something like that to happen in Africa, which is for me just a way to introduce <laughs> a bit jokingly the topic of uh, uh, our next question or the main topic of our talk today, which is Africa and especially safaris. Uh, we didn't have in the past, I don't think we had any guests uh, uh, talking with us about this specific type of travel that is a safari, uh, even though it it has to be one of the most rewarding experiences for, for a travel photographer. And I remember fondly my trip to South Africa. We did a mix of uh, park drives and also more uh, rugged safaris. And I really loved it. So we need to address this, uh, this lack in a, in a way. So you did a trip to, to Africa last year. Uh, a safari trip to Tanzania. So can you tell us uh, about it? How was it? I'd love to. Um, so my partner uh, and I at Discovery Photo Tours, you know, we're always looking to, to add new exciting destinations to our roster of tours that we offer. And um, certainly a safari was going to be something that we wanted to do. Um, however, we had not been before. And last year, and we, we had planned to do a scouting trip to, to make sure that we could get some marketing images, do all the vetting we need to do in terms of accommodations and places that we eat and the operator that we have. And uh, it, we brainstormed a little bit and said, well, you know, instead of just offering instead of just doing this ourselves, why don't we try and find a way that we can bring some people with us? And, you know, so we uh, dubbed it a scouting tour and we were very honest about the fact that we were there to scout and this is you know our first time there there was no pretense in terms of you know telling everyone how much experience we had um, and we did it as a, a sign-up process where people had to basically be vetted to, to come with us and by that I mean that we just wanted to have some people who are a little bit more experienced with photography so that they wouldn't need uh, as much guidance as we usually give on on our tours and that worked out well, and it worked out so well that we ended up filling three safari vehicles and uh, having a whole lot of people come with us uh, and, and enjoy what to me was perhaps the most incredible uh, trip I've ever taken in my life. And, um, you know, I think 
I, I keep saying this to people who are asking me about it is thank God we're photographers and we have pictures to tell the stories because words fail me at this point uh, in terms of being able to uh, express how I was touched, how amazed I was by what I saw in front of me, how fortunate I felt to be able to witness all these beautiful animals in their natural habitat and uh, and to see it on the, the faces of, of the other people as well who I was fortunate enough to, to share you know that month in Africa with. It, it was just mind, mind-numbingly beautiful. Ken, I, I've, I've never been on a safari. I've only been to northern Africa, Egypt, Morocco. I do tours there, but have not uh, done any safaris. And uh, certainly intrigued by what, what you're saying. And I mean, what were some of the things that just simply amazed you? Someone that's traveled the world and seen as many things as you have. What amazes someone like you in that instance? The freshness of it all, the, the, the fact that this was all extremely uh, new in terms of visuals in front of me. Now I've seen, you know, epic landscapes and wonderful, you know, cities and towns and uh, you know, people of cultures of all different kinds, but wildlife was very new to me. I'd been to Namibia before on a, a bit of a safari as well, uh, which was which was good, but Namibia also offered a lot of other opportunities to see different kinds of things, so it was a limited amount of time we spent on game drives. Um, this was much more intense, and the prolific amount of animals that we saw. So there were days where you could see hundreds, uh, literally hundreds of thousands of wildebeest in front of you, as far as the eye can see. Uh, this is all taking place on the Great Migration, and where there's, you know, over three million wildebeest that travel from, you know, southern Tanzania up and through the Maasai Mara area of Kenya. And uh, we were just so fortunate to be there at that time, you know, planned, of course, to, to be able to capture this. And the zebras as well, there was just days where thousands and thousands of them are, are just galloping in front of you. And then the big cats, like the leopards and the lions and the cheetahs, uh, which th that's my favorite. Um, I just absolutely adore these big cats. And it's fascinating. We saw, you know, mother lions nursing their young. We saw cheetahs teaching their uh, children how to hunt. We saw leopards with, you know, antelope kills uh, up in the trees. Um, and, and you could just go on with every kind of antelope and uh, elephant and hippopotamus and rhino and uh, hyena and uh, it was again just incredible uh and, and what time of year is this ken that uh, that that migration happens uh it happens year long but where it's happening where we get the chance to see the antel uh, sorry the uh, zebra and the wildebeest cross the mara river that's in august september so and that's the best time to be there so we're going to be doing uh two two of them this year uh late august and early september and uh, you know, there was, um, we, we asked one of our guides, who driver guides last year, what was the most, you know, amazing crossing he ever saw of the wildebeest on the Mara River. And he said there was one time where he saw three hours straight of stampeding wildebeest uh, crossing that river. And we didn't see that exactly, uh, but certainly did see other miracles of nature. Fantastic. What kind of, I, I, as, a, as a neophyte, on safaris, what kind of challenges did you have with photography? And, you know, did you have to, did you have the equipment already that you would have needed for that type of photography? Did you need to buy or rent special gear just for that type of trip? You know, that's a great question uh, because each place that you do go to in terms of if you're going to be shooting culture or landscape or cityscape or wildlife requires you know, a bit of a different, you know, kit to bring with you. And this certainly was uh, unique in, into that. Um, as a Fuji film ex-photographer, I'm lucky to have, you know, a nice set of gear from, from Fuji film, including uh, what just ended up being the, the perfect lens for this, which was the uh, uh, 100 to 400 millimeter that they make, which is a uh, nice, light, compact, super long zoom, along with the 1.4x and 2x teleconverters that just made me be able to get up to, I think with the 2X conversion and the, and the crop factor conversion, it's up to like 1200 millimeters. Um, so wow. that, that's just absolutely ideal for, for what we were doing and what we were photographing. 
Uh, but some of my favorite photos as well were shot with uh, much wider lenses when we were able to get close enough to, to the animals and to be able to get you know, other uh, interesting visual elements into the, the photographs as well. So I think people need absolutely need a long lens, and I'd suggest a long zoom lens uh, just to make it easier in terms of cropping in camera. Uh, and the thing that I needed to buy that I didn't have was a beanbag. And we provide those for you anyway on, on the safari, but I did buy one. Um, and you don't need a tripod. That, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I carry with me religiously everywhere. And I didn't use it once while we we're on safari. Uh, I did use it in, in Zanzibar uh, at the end because we do wrap up this tour uh, on the beautiful white sands of Zanzibar um, at a nice resort there to relax after the safari's over. But that, that beanbag is really the only thing that you need in terms of being able to be flexible, to move around in the Jeep. And, you know, the, there's no roofs on those Jeeps other than a canopy to block the sun. So you're able to have like a 360 degree view of your surroundings. And our drivers are so good at positioning us and getting us as close as legally possible to, to the animals. You know, this is something you have to respect is that in the parks, there's certain rules that you have to follow. And, uh, yeah, so the long lens is just absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, you know, making sure that you utilize the cameras properly and, and set your ISO accordingly because you don't want camera shake and, um, you know, all those kinds of things that come into consideration when you're handholding should be taken into consideration when you're photographing a safari. Uh, plus, even more so, the fact that you want to be using a long lens. So that adds to the risk of camera shake. So keep your shutter speeds as high as possible. One thing that I that I will definitely bring when I come to Tanzania with you, because, well, we didn't say that, but one of the uh, news here is that I'm going to be uh, coming to Tanzania with you this year, hopefully, if uh, everything goes well, uh, is that I will definitely bring a tripod. I'm looking forward to those African nights with uh, clear skies and uh, millions of stars. Uh, is, is my hope well-founded? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to maybe burst your bubble a little bit oh. because the days are long and we are so tired after the end of the day, <laughs> after getting up well before sunrise to eat and be ready to get into our vehicles and have long days of game drives that when we get back to the camps, um, you actually have to be kind of careful. You can't leave the camps. You have to be escorted. Um, there are You're in the middle of the habitat of lions and hyenas and hippos and other things that literally, you know, pose a significant danger to you unless you are with, you know, in the constraints of the camp and accompanied by one of the, the guards there. So even just to get back to your really beautiful plush luxury tent or, you know, room, uh, you, they request that you get an escort back to the room mm -hmm. and uh, tell you those rooms are absolutely decadent. This is all five-star uh, glamping and, 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 you know, full accommodations with uh, canopy beds and you know, full bathrooms in the tents and hot and cold running water and all that. So that for, for shooting the stars at night, first of all, I think you'll be too tired. And second of all, it'll be a challenge to find the place that you want to get to to be able to do that. In Zanzibar, however, that's certainly a place where you could do that. And uh, there's definitely, you know, nice sea, seascape areas and beautiful beaches to be able to do that kind of thing. And uh, no uh, lions and tigers and bears and oh my. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, there, will, there will be a chance to uh, take walks without being all the time on a vehicle. There's one place that we stay at uh, that you're able to take a, a bit of a, a walk out, a guided walk out, um, time permitting and safety permitting. Because yeah. if you know they know that there's animals in the area, they obviously won't do that. Uh, but that is, you know, and there's places where you get out of the vehicles where we have lunches and things like that. But to go out in long walks, again, this is the territory of lions and leopards. And uh, <laughs> I think that... Uh, Save the walks for you know, the next time that you're up in the Canadian Rockies or in yeah. Patagonia. Well, there are bears there. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I remember when we, when I was in South Africa, they had this uh, ritual of the sundowner. So when the sun was right. going down, they would stop the, the jeep. We would get out and they would put down a little table with drinks and, and a little bit of snacks. But of course, there, there was always a, a spotter, how they call them, a spotter or a guard around with, uh, with a rifle just in case some lion would show up. 
Sure. So we do those kinds of things in terms of stopping and we have, you know, bottles of wine and, and you know, snacks and coffee uh, ready for us to be able to sit and have a nice little picnic area. Uh, and, and we do that. That's really a lovely part of it. And our guides know exactly where those safe places yeah. are. And uh, there's no worries about that whatsoever. But I'll just make a little uh, comment on the sundowner thing, which, yes, that's a African tradition. Everyone, you know, who goes on these safaris and, and trips loves their sundowners. But that's also a time where the light is at its nicest. So I don't really encourage us doing, you know, the sitting and drinking coffee and tea at sunset. I, mm -hmm. I encourage us to be finding another great place to photograph, at, you know, with the most beautiful light of the day. These are, after all, photography tours. And regardless of, you know, even that, you can always pull out and, you know, if everyone else is photographing and you want that nice glass of wine, you can do it while we're all taking photos. No problem. Yeah, that's probably a difference between what I did in the past that was not a photo safari. It was just a safari where I happened to be the one who was really interested in photography and I would have rather spent my time taking more photos than drinking. <laughs> But having something that is specifically organized for photographers, I think that's, uh, that's good to know that you can uh, count on having the most time dedicated to photography as you can possibly get. Yeah, absolutely. And at the camps, you know, we, we certainly have, you know, the opportunity to sit around the campfire and, and share stories from the day and, you know, have that drink or two and, and relax for before we hit the sack and, and, you know, wake up again bright and early so we can start capturing more amazing stuff the next day. But um, the days are long, the days are full and the days are exciting. It's uh, for those people who have never been uh, on an African safari, I can tell you that Uh, your jaw is going to hit the floor. Your your finger is going to stay on that camera trigger for the moment you you know get out in front of the, your first animals to to the moment you get back to to the camp. Most often, because there's still opportunity even outside the parks to see some beautiful you know animals that you just never know are going to happen right in front of you. And uh, it, it, every day is another adventure where you just don't know what you're going to see. And you know we 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 were running separate vehicles last year where we wouldn't all stay together and at the end of the day we'd have great stories to tell each other about individually what you know each vehicle was able to see and capture and uh, it would encourage us for the next day to hopefully be able to do the same thing you know vice versa it's uh it's so nice to to get to a place like that where you have the opportunity to lounge back at the end of the day in decadent luxury and then know that you're going to be back on the road again, taking more epic photographs the next day. Can, uh, you know, beyond the animals, what other kind of uh, cultural or city type uh, people, photography can one expect in that region? So one of the things that we do is we visit a uh, Maasai tribe village and we get, uh, you know, the ceremonial dance that, that they do when we get there. Um, And, and it's beautiful. The, the the men and women all get together from the village and come out and sing and dance for us. And um, it, it's, it makes for great photography and video opportunities for, for our guests. Plus, we get a chance to actually talk to them. Uh, most of them speak English. And uh, so we spend several hours there mulling about and getting an insight into how they live in these villages because it's a completely different way of life. Um, you know, there, there's crafts that they make that, that you can buy. Um, and I'll be honest, you know, some of them are not made by, by these people, but it's nice to be able to support, uh, you know, people who obviously are less fortunate than us. And I always do like to leave a place better than when we got there. We get the chance to visit a little schoolhouse that they have and, you know, spend some time with the children who serenade us. And yeah, that's really heartwarming and beautiful. And I really enjoyed that. And on the first day when we get there, and this is optional, we'll uh, take you to, uh, It's, it's a beautiful cultural center in Arusha, uh, which is where our first hotel is uh, near Kilimanjaro. And the artwork that is done and that, that they have there is just insane. It is so beautiful. I wish, you know, that, uh, you know, I could walk away with dozens of the sculptures that they have. They're, they're just so intricate and ornate and it's all of wildlife or African scenes. And uh, most of it is local made. Uh, they do have a section where like just one giant room that's full of African masks from all over Africa. 
Um, and uh, I always tend to pick up a mask wherever I go if that's part of the culture. And that's something I give to my mom from each of each of my trips. And she's got a nice wall of masks back home um, from my travels and hers. And uh, so, yeah, that if you're into art and culture, there's certainly that side of it. Plus, in Zanzibar, uh, where we wrap up the tour for a few days, Stone Town is a very historic city uh, or town. Um, you know, there's a sad side to that, that part of the uh, East African slave trade uh, took place very much so in, in Stone Town. Uh, and through a guided tour, you'll be able to get a better insight into that part of uh, the African history. Um, just photographing uh, in and about in Stone Town is really cool, especially old Stone Town, which still has all those lovely doors, kind of like what you see in Morocco, Ralph, I, I would imagine. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then, you know, beautiful beaches for swimming. You can go sailing, uh, which we definitely encourage people to do. There's an animal preserve there that we encourage people to visit. Uh, and uh, there you can actually interact with several of the animals and uh, get a chance to see what these people are doing in terms of trying to preserve uh, species of, of animals and and, and yeah, so there, there's a whole variety of things. I don't like to make my tours, you know, so centric on one specific thing that that's all it is. And these tours uh, are also very friendly, you know, for couples, uh, spouses who are not, um, you know, into photography. You need a pair of binoculars to enjoy this. Um, and even your phone, let's say in Zanzibar, to take a few snapshots. Uh, the, the joy that I think anyone can get out of being on a safari and just witnessing these kinds of things, uh, it, it, it's... It, it's, and I don't mean this lightly, it's kind of life-changing. It was to me. It just opened up my eyes to so much and made me want to find ways in the future to make sure that we can keep going back there and contributing to the local economy so that they continue to sustain you know, the anti-poaching squads and other things that uh, are so dearly needed over there. Can you be a bit more specific about the, the equipment issue? Because I would really like the listeners to this episode to, to get some... Uh, practical tips if they're planning to go on a safari no matter who they are going with uh you said okay a zoom lens uh, a telephoto zoom lens is definitely recommended and i would like just to mention that if you don't have a 400 millimeter lens there, there's almost always a, a rental is the option is an option right so that, absolutely that's, that's one thing um uh, camera and n- nowadays i think you you're a fujifilm shooter um fujifilm uh, ralph here shooting um is that panasonic ralph panasonic yeah. lomix yep right so i think that those camera nowadays are perfectly capable you don't need a, a big dslr to, to shoot a safari and there's also the the crop factor in a situation like that helps i mean you can with a 400 millimeters lens actually equates to a 600 millimeter, which helps a lot. So there's a benefit to have, of having a crop sensor instead of a full-frame sensor, maybe. I think that's a very good point, um, and I agree 100%. And you know, not just because I'm a Fujifilm user, but you know, this is uh, a place for the crop sensor. Definitely, definitely good to have the teleconverters as well on your lenses, just to get that little bit closer, or a lot closer, actually, at times. Um, you know, now Fujifilm also has the uh, X-H1, which has uh, internal camera stabilization inside that body, and that's a brand new camera of this year. Um, so I'm looking forward to bringing that to Tanzania with me this year. just adds a little bit of extra stability, which may allow you to have one or two more stops of uh, shutter speed uh, you know, at your disposal in terms of making sure you don't get that camera shake. Make sure that you use your... Um, if your lens has image stabilization, double check all the time that that's on. Uh, also, make sure that it's off if you're using a tripod. Um, so there, there's definitely things like that that make absolute sense to me in terms of why you'd want to use the crop sensor cameras. Uh, and at the same time, it's a weight factor. And if you're going to bring a 300, 400, 500, 600 millimeter lens uh, to someplace like Tanzania... Well, you have to understand that we're also taking some some in, internal flights inside the country that aren't small planes. And even the bigger planes today are very much more conscious about the weight of the gear that you bring. And 
I don't know if you really want to check that super expensive lens that's going to cost you eight to twelve, fifteen thousand um, dollars. You know, and see the way the luggage handlers handle that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's rather nerve wracking to to trust the airlines in that sense these days. So um, you don't really need, I think, to go to the expense of it. Um, you know, even for the DSLRs, I'd look at you know the slower but you know more compact zoom lenses in terms of the telephotos and if you want to bring your your big four five hundred millimeter super telephoto you can and i know a lot of people who do this as well and uh, that's fine just make sure that's securely packed uh, and you may have to of course pay a little bit extra in terms of uh, you know your baggage fees in order to bring that kind of gear with you uh, but if you can afford a fifteen thousand dollar lens, you can afford an extra hundred bucks. I think for the uh, the, the you, joy of bringing it with you. You recently had a little bit of a, another horror story about uh, equipment and airlines. So you want to tell us about it? <laughs> well, this is becoming more prevalent, and I think all of us as travel photographers um, benefit greatly from the smaller mirrorless bodies these days, just because it weighs less and it's more compact and. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, working with Fujifilm, uh, even if this stuff is lighter, I tend to bring a lot of gear with me. Um, so, for example, in Norway this year when I was going, I brought both the X-Series uh, gear that I have and I brought the GFX, which is their amazing uh, new medium format system, which uh, I'm, I'm drooling over right now as I, as I talk about it. So my backpack weighed substantially more than what I was allowed by Norwegian airlines and, uh, got to the airport and oh, it's frustrating. Um, you know, they, they ask you if you have any gear to check and I usually would just put my backpack as close to the counter as possible and show them only my, uh, laptop bag and say, yes, I have this, they'll weigh it and I'm good to go. And I just walk away and get on the plane with the extra heavy bag. Um, this time for some reason I was distracted and I said, yes, I, I do. And I put the the backpack on, on the scale and it was probably three or more times the weight that was permissible. And they refused to, to let me take it on uh, at first. And um, this is not the first time that that's happened with an airline. So after talking to one person, two people, three people, I finally talked to a supervisor who was very rude and uh, not helpful at all at the beginning and, and said that there's absolutely no way that I could check it in. And I have to check it in. And we're talking about, you know, 15 plus thousand dollars worth of equipment in that bag. And I'm certainly not comfortable checking it in. Finally, at the end, he said, well, if you're not going to check, uh, you know, if, if you're not uh, going to take the weight out, you're going to have to pay. I'm like, well, okay, I'll pay then. And it cost me a couple hundred dollars extra to bring it, which is not fun. Nobody wants to do that. But at the same time, I'd rather do that than worry about that kind of equipment that's going to be mishandled by someone or possibly stolen or any other bad thing that could, could potentially happen to it. So um, I think the, the key today and the tip that I would give to anybody is uh, if you're going on a photography trip and you're taking any kind of flights uh, and you're traveling with a companion, well, go and register separately and leave your camera bag with your colleague or friend or wife or husband or boyfriend, girlfriend. And then have them do the same thing and leave their bag with you while you check in. And um, yeah, it's just some little tricks that we have to do in order to be able to make sure that our gear is safe. Uh, I, you know, I don't mind paying the extra fee if there is that possibility. I wish that there would be some standard rule or some special dispensation for photographers, videographers, and other people who carry sensitive equipment. I mean, people who carry musical equipment, I've heard these kinds of stories from as well, including people who've had you know, Stradivarius violins damaged uh, because of negligence from the airlines. Uh, and that we're not talking about tens of thousands of dollars. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not, you know, over a million dollars worth of a musical instrument. And, Ken, uh, Ken excuse me. And you're not please. talking about a puddle jumper in uh, Africa. You're talking about a Dreamliner airline, right? Yeah, that's that was the irony of it. So the, this was, yeah, a Dreamliner and one of the most modern, up-to-date, sophisticated planes flying in the sky today. And the overhead compartments are gigantic and there's lots of room. This was just a Napoleon complex person who wanted to prove that he could make me do something that I didn't necessarily want to do. And 
again, there's just a matter of being polite and giving options to your guests who are paying you thousands of dollars to use your services. And I'm open to all sorts of different kinds of ways to make it happen. But I, I have a very hard time with people who uh, try to make your life miserable when you're a paying guest. And especially this guy who just, you know, he was getting enjoyment out of it and, you know, wasn't offering me the options that he finally ended up offering me in the long run. Yeah, that's that's frustrating. Ken, I just wanted to briefly talk about something you, you, you mentioned earlier about, you, you know, with these long lenses, being aware of, of you know, keeping that, that, that lens shake, being aware of lens shake. And uh, that's referred to as the rule of reciprocity. And that one over the focal length of the lens is the shutter speed that you should have. And people can Google it. I don't want to go into it in too much detail, sure. but let's say you've got a, a thousand millimeter lens, one over the focal length, so one one thousandth of a second shutter speed or faster is what you should, you know, use as a rule of thumb. And of course, there are exceptions, but uh, I just thought that people might be interested in that. Yeah, I agree with that for the most part, and I think that today again we can, you know, use that a bit of as an example of rules that are meant to be broken to, to within limits um, simply because of the fact that our technology has gotten so much better and that with the image stabilized lenses and now with the image stabilized camera bodies uh, we're, we're so far ahead of the game compared to even five years ago that uh, you know it makes a significant difference in terms of several stops I'd say that you can get away with if you are stable you know and able to make sure that you know, your camera is as stable as possible. Um, given the chance to always use that rule, if you can, I suggest it as well. There's one thing yeah, I'd like to, to add is that, um, that that rule works well when the thing moving is your is your camera, potentially being blurry. The photo potentially being blurry because of camera shake. But people should not forget that their subject is also, might also be moving. Sure. So, I mean... Uh, you might have a, not that long of a lens and you might think, okay, I can get by with a one, two hundred of a second or so, but maybe you're photographing a, a cheetah chasing down an antelope. And I think that maybe calls for a faster shutter speed. And so today, again, with the, you know, the better sensors in all the different camera uh, models, uh, I think that you can get away with a higher ISO with no problem whatsoever. And that's a lesson that I keep you know, trying to relearn every time because I'm always of the opinion, you know, myself that I'd like to keep the ISO down to as low as possible. But certainly uh, in a place like Tanzania and, and especially on the safari end of it, where, uh, like you say, Uga, you're potentially moving the camera a bit and your subject is moving at a substantial rate, um, you know, raise your ISO. I'll raise sacrifice ISO. grain for sharpness. It's definitely better to have a, a little bit of digital noise in an image than to have a blurry subject. You can Absolutely. somewhat fix the former, the former, but not the latter. Yeah, firmware. I like that. The former. <laughs> that, 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 apl that applies to dancing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one more question about equipment, and uh, this is going really to be the last. Can you bring a drone there, or does it make sense to bring a drone? Can you fly it in a park? Um, I would seriously suggest that people not bring it because, first of all, in all the national parks, it's absolutely forbidden. And uh, we're talking about you're freaking out these animals with, with the drones, and that's certainly disrespectful. And I would not allow that on any of the, you know, the tours that we do. And I did not see a single person anywhere using a drone anywhere in any of the parks. So I'm, I'm happy to see that um, they do respect the sanctity of that rule. Um, I would say that that's a little more of a silly rule in places where there are no animals and, and there are, like it's saying, the United States, you're not allowed to fly drones in national parks. And I can see the good and bad to that. But here I would I would advise against it. Zanzibar, you, you could, but I don't think that, again, that that's going to be the, the, you know, as epic as what you could potentially see uh, with a drone on a safari uh, but yeah unfortunately no and perhaps one day when these things are minuscule and silent and uh, less obtrusive that that could be possible but uh, i suggest no yeah good to know because uh, i know some people would uh, want to know if that's possible and, and so on myself included okay so uh 
think we have uh, only a few minutes left here. There's a lot of things that I would like to, to ask you, but we've got some uh, another interview coming up. Our time is a little bit short and we don't want to abuse your time. I know you're busy. So when is uh, uh, our trip coming up exactly? Well, we have two uh, dates, that, like, uh, like I specified. One is from August 19th to the 29th, and the other is August 31st to September 10th. And uh, we arrive in Kilimanjaro and depart from Kilimanjaro as well. Or we can make special accommodations for people to leave from Zanzibar. Um, and, you know, we'll work with anyone uh, with our flight concierge to be able to make sure that you get the right flights that you need in terms of getting out of uh, whether it's Zanzibar, uh, Dar es Salaam or Kilimanjaro. And uh, again, the, to me, this, this one in particular, this tour is extremely friendly to, to people who uh, want to bring a friend or a colleague or a partner, spouse, and, and just enjoy this as the trip of a lifetime. You know, so many of the, the vehicles that we see alongside of us uh, during the course of a day on the game drive, uh, people don't have big cameras or they just have binoculars and they're enjoying it in their own way. And, and it's certainly a place to be able to open your eyes to a brand new kind of experience and I would suggest this to anyone. You know, I keep thinking that we're so fortunate to be living in today's day and age where we have the means to have the technology to be able to capture, you know, what we see in front of us to the great detail that you can today, but also that we're living in a time where, and this is a sad part, is that we may be one of the last generations to really see this kind of thing happening in the wild. And, you know, I, I really urge people to, to go and see this for, for yourself. Um, join us or, you know, find a way to do it that, that just opens your eyes to yeah, and opens your heart to all these beautiful creatures. And, uh, you know, let's all try and find a way to make sure that this is there for generations to come. Great advice. That's something uh, I've always wanted to do. And uh, you've really encourage me to do that i'm gonna look into getting over there in the next couple of years and make that happen well thanks for being on the show ken really appreciate it well where can people find out more about you online well if you're looking to join us on any of the tours that we're doing we're available at discoveryphototours.com um, you can find me and all the information about me on uh, my website and that's just my name kenkamineski.com and, uh, you know, all the links to social media and other things like that, my blog and everything else are going to be on that site. And uh, that's pretty much it. It's, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure being back on the show with you guys. Thanks, Ralph. I'm glad that I finally got a chance to get you as a host on this as well. And, Ugo, thank you. And I'm looking forward to having you run one of our Jeeps for us this year in Tanzania and looking forward to having – you know, you have the same experience that I had last year in terms of just being blown away with the majesty of what you're going to see. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that myself. Uh, really excited about this. And uh, again, thank you for, for being with us today. Uh, and now that's, uh, that's really all. So uh, what else can I say? It's, it's been a really uh, engaging conversation, I think. Uh, might have moved some people to, to consider doing a safari, whether it's with Discovery Photo Tours or one of the other operators. But yeah, if you want to do it with uh, Discovery Photo Tours, um, you won't be disappointed, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay, uh, have a nice day and all the best. Thanks, gentlemen. Talk soon. Thanks, Ken. All right, that was a really interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to that Tanzania trip that's coming up in August. And uh, yeah, check it out. It's, uh, it's going to be great. I'm really excited about that. Uh, what, what other trips you have coming up, Ralph? Let's see. Uh, trips with availability. I've got a couple spots left on my Copper Canyon trip in Mexico. That's in August. Uh, Romania sold out. I'll be doing some scouting in Armenia and Georgia, September, October. And then uh, have an India trip and a Vietnam trip as well. So uh, Viet Vietnam now has, uh, we've got the, enough people participating that we can call that trip a go. So that's a definite go for that trip. And uh, you and I will be speaking at the Out of Chicago Photography Conference in June, June 22nd through the 24th. And we will be uh, presenting a full day workshop that Friday 
that people can come out and uh, enjoy if they'd like to uh, to learn from us and shoot with us. And there is a promo code for $50 off. You could use either Velasco 50 or Che 50, and that will get you $50 off of your uh, your fee to join the conference. How about you, Ogo? What do you have coming up? Yeah, I mean, the, the Auto Chicago event is definitely a fun one. It's, uh, it's my favorite conference of the year. It's great to to meet so so many friends, uh, you included. We'll be doing this workshop. Uh, you know, let's see who gets more signups using either mine or your code. Uh, but act fast. I think by the <laughs> by the time this episode airs, uh, will still only be a few few days left. I think this uh, this year it will sell out fast. And uh, yeah, dates twenty two to twenty four of June. Uh, what else have got coming up? I think uh, by the, the time this episode goes out, I've already set up my published my my page about the Oman tour of uh, this year. Now all the dates and details are going to be on the website but just uh, uh, just to mention it here I'm going to Oman in December that's going to be from December uh, 3 to 11 so if you want to join me I think there's still uh, there'll still be spots left it's going to be uh, an amazing trip I'll probably do a step stopover in Dubai or Abu Dhabi so I might uh, uh, take a few photos there as well that's uh, yeah. That's about it. My photographing uh, the Carnival of Venice in 2019 uh, workshop is sold out, but I'm thinking of doubling down on that and maybe opening up uh, other dates close to those ones. Uh, so if people are interested, just keep following me and uh, and I'll mention it. And of course, you can find everything about me at my website ucphoto.me or even at my newly uh, opened. Uh, website that is all dedicated to my photo tours that is at tours.ucphoto.me but of course from my web my web main website there's a clear link there and you can find all everything about all my tours uh, what about you ralph yeah if people want to look for what i've got going just simply go to photoenrichment.com all my tours are there and you can follow me on all the social networks at photo enrichment or at ralph velasco and uh, also check out my uh, new my uh, online course where i'm teaching people how to organize and lead their own trips at tourorganizertraining.com all right that's really all for now don't forget to check our website at ttim.photo and for all our current and past episodes uh, subscribe on uh, iTunes or any other software you might be using. You will find easy links there to, to subscribe. Check out our Facebook group, uh, join and uh, join the fun at ttim.photo slash Facebook. And what else? I think that's, uh, that's all. Now let's get out and shoot.